strong women, smart policy, solid theology, and no apology. You're listening to Women for America, a ministry of Concerned Women for America, the nation's largest public policy organization for women, bringing you biblical perspectives to today's most pressing issues. Hi, everyone. My name is Morgan Schlossemann, and I'm the Young Women for America National Director here at CWA. And I'm joined today by Julia Campbell, who is one of our regional coordinators for YWA. And she recently had a trip to Tennessee to be with one of our YWA chapters there. And they had a beautiful event um, really about femininity, biblical femininity, and what it is versus um, the feminist lies. And so we were inspired by that and all of the wisdom and good things she had to say. And so we wanted to have that conversation here today. So thanks, Julia. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, so just to start, I mean, we see in society the way that it's pushed down our throats that, you know, men and women are equal and that men can do anything women can do and vice versa. And there's no clear roles. But um, here at CWA, we believe that um, God did create us male and female and that he gave us unique gifts and passions. So um, do you want to explain a little about the biblical role of like a Proverbs 31 woman and what that looks like? Yeah, I think there's a really good distinction that has to be made that men and women are in fact made equal, but they're not made the same. Um, So God designed men and women to reflect him differently. Women reflect God and his character and love differently than men reflect him. And so that's the difference that has to be made. Um, Yes, they're equal in value. They're obviously equal in worth and, you know, made in the image of God, Um, but they're not made the same. Um, And when you look at Proverbs 31, I think it's really unique because people can say like, it's a very like degrading chapter towards women or, or whatnot. And they can think like it's, you know, approach it with a misogynistic like attitude. But if you look at it, Proverbs 31 is literally the advice of a mother to her son. It's written by a woman. Um, and I think that's really important to understand. And, um, when you look at creation and how it's kind of reflected in Proverbs 31, when you look at creation, what is Eve? She is literally the completion of creation. It's not that it wasn't good before she showed up. God declared all those things good. But creation isn't complete until she shows up and she's brought to Adam. Um, It's actually really interesting because if you look at the Hebrew, I'm a little bit of a nerd, but um, if you look at the Hebrew, when Adam is being uh, being created, the language that's used for him is similar to what would be used when describing pottery. It's like this rough shaping, um, you know, it's kind of, yeah, it's rough. I guess that's a good word for it. Not at all bad, still good. Um, But that's the language that's used with him. But when Eve is being brought to Adam, when you look at those passages, the language that is being used to describe her is what would be used to describe what we would, you know, I guess in modern day would be a cathedral. It's this beautiful, like adorning and admiration um, when Eve is being brought to him. And, and why is that? Well, she's the completion. This is the the wrapping up of creation. And now the world is set and, you know, it's going to, you know, this is what God made and it's good. Um, and completion also means she's going to make everything around her flourish. Um, she's going to make everything around her better. And you see this in Proverbs 31. Um, in Proverbs 31, she's not only taking care of her husband, her children, her home, but she's she's also taking care of the rest of the corner of the world that the Lord has entrusted to her. Um, she's involved with politics. She's involved with business. She's involved with um, taking care of not only her family, but her community. Um, whoever needs, whoever has needs, she's ready to fill them. Um, And we shouldn't look at that as like kind of with a girl boss attitude, I'll say, um, of like, oh yeah, she's like this, um, 
really awesome kick butt businesswoman. It's like, yes, she's that, but she's also extremely nurturing. Um, and I think that's really important because what is she doing? She's making the world around her better. She's improving that corner of the world that God has entrusted to her. Um, and I think that's really, really important. Um, and something I wanted to add with this question of, you know, like, are men and women equal? Yes, they're equal, but we've distinguished that they're not the same. The genders complement each other when both genders fulfill their roles. Um, we see this, we see, I would say we see the opposite of this a lot in today's culture with all of the, the unfathered homes. Um, when a woman is left without that man in her life, you see that she has to take on roles that God made for a man. And she actually has to put her femininity on hold because that's not an option for her anymore. Um, but on the flip side, when both roles are fulfilling, when both genders are fulfilling their roles and what God has for them, how he made them, you actually see both of them flourish. And therefore the society, the family, the community around them also flourishes. Um, yeah. Like just the men at my church, I'm really, really blessed. They're amazing. And like their faith is really, really strong. And I would say seeing them live out their roles of being a godly, faithful man pushes me to be a more godly, faithful woman. So um, they are equal. They're not the same. They have equal. I mean, they have their independent roles. Um, and if they if they live out those roles, the world is just better because because that's how God designed it. So, yeah. Amen. That's so good. Um, well, like I said earlier, we both work for Young Women for America, which focuses on high school and college and young professional girls. And so um, one verse that came to mind when I was kind of thinking of the next question was 1 Timothy 4.12, which says, don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And obviously those are all things that we um, work on each day ourselves and try to instill um, with the leaders that we have. But that last one with purity, um, I think modesty is such an interesting big topic. And obviously we might think of modesty and first think of what we wear, um, maybe how we act, but it truly does cover, you know, mind, body, and soul. So what does that look like? What does the Bible say about modesty and purity and how can we set ourselves apart from the world? Well, first off, I really like that you made the distinction between it's not just what you wear. It's not just your body. And I think that's the great place to start um, is it really does start with the soul. Um, so what is purity? Why would you even want it? Well, the reason you would want to be pure is out of a want to be pure before the Lord. Um, and that starts with your soul. Um, and I want to say, like, if you don't care about your purity, if you don't care about how you're presenting yourself to the Lord, I think that's a bigger issue than, you know, is your skirt long enough mm -hmm. or what are you wearing? Um, so you have to start with where is your heart at? Do you want to present yourself pure before the Lord? Um, you know, in how you conduct yourself and how you dress. Um, and, and also on that topic of purity, um, well, if you think about it from like a scriptural perspective and a gospel perspective, like purity it's like purity from sin. Like you're identifying with the Lord and what he's done and, and the, the blood that's covered you from all of your sin. And, and that's what real, real purity is. And it's from that, that we live out, you know, now what the culture says is like purity, modesty. Um, and so I want to make a distinction, um, especially when talking about like sexual purity and, um, virginity and, and all those things is, Purity and virginity are not necessarily one and the same, um, and they're not exactly the same package. Um, and I say that because I think, I think, you know, purity culture and like the shame surrounded by purity and especially how sometimes purity is talked about in the church, it can kind of come from the wrong perspective and, and give people like 
a really bad sense of identity and and where they're at and where they're at with the Lord. Um, and I wanted to say like, you could, you know, quote, like technically be a virgin and not be living in sexual purity. You could also have lost your virginity. And this could either be by a boyfriend, a guy you don't know, it could have been taken from you against your will. Um, but if you have accepted the grace of Christ and, and your, your, your sin is washed away from his blood, like you are therefore pure, even if you're no longer a virgin. Um, and I wanted to say that because I think that gets skewed a lot in the church um, and people can live under a lot of shame of like, well, I just didn't know. And I think that's also another thing that we're dealing with in the church is, um, you know, dating and boundaries and sex just aren't talked about, talked about enough. And people end up in situations simply out of like, I just didn't know how fast it was going to escalate, or I just didn't know this was going to happen. Um, I just didn't know how easy it was to fall into sin. Um, and so we have this whole generation of, you know, Christians and not Christians who are living in this shame that they think, oh my gosh, I messed up. But, but really like that purity comes from the Lord and it comes from repenting of your sin and, and asking him to wash away that sin. Um, so I wanted to bring that part into the conversation because I think that's often like scaved away. Um, so that's what I wanted to say on, on purity. It's really a matter of the heart. Um, it's a matter of identifying with the Lord. Um, even if you've made mistakes in the past, purity is something that is always, um, can always be restored and, and Christ can always re restore in your life. Um, and then turning to modesty, um, with the question of modesty, I think a lot of it has to do with worth. Like, do you view yourself as, as with, like, as having worth? Um, and do you view yourself as something that someone needs to earn before they can have? Um, even if you, you know, don't have a relationship with the Lord and, and don't seek to, um, live out, um, modestly, I, I do really encourage you to think about it this way, or at least start here. Cause when you start with the question of the, of your worth, you'll eventually land with the Lord. Because if you start to question, you know, what am I worth? Where does my worth come from? You will eventually realize that your worth comes from the Lord. Um, so even if you don't have a relationship with him, I want you to kind of just like dabble with this question of, does someone need to earn me? The question, I mean, the answer to that question is yes, whether or not you know it. Um, the answer to that question is yes. And what does that mean? Someone needs to earn you. It means someone needs to give something up in order to, to have you. Um, and we see this in marriage. You know, a man only gets his wife's body when he has literally promised to, to serve, protect, sacrifice for, and eventually die for his wife. Like he only gets his wife once he has earned her. And I don't mean this like in a weird transactional, like almost like prostitution way, like at all. I don't mean it in, in like, yeah, in a transactional way at all. It literally means like you are worth something. Someone needs to give something up in order to have you. Um, and so when we're talking about modesty, you know, a man should only like, quote unquote, like get you or, or get to see those parts of you or get to see you um if he has actually like earned you and that could just be like visually that could be physically but like just just start focusing on like where do you view your worth um and do you view that you know maybe a man shouldn't get to look at me that way until he has given something up um preferably you know marriage vows um before he gets to see me any further or before he gets to touch me any further um and so i know that's not like the typical conversation that we have with like modesty but i think that's like a great place to start and a great thing to think about you know as you're you know shopping getting dressed in the morning you know um 
also with worth, you know, it's, you know, what does get someone get to like have or, or earn you? Um, but it's also like, you are made in the image of God. Like that is an amazing thing. And, and you can dress accordingly, um, of like adorning yourself and being like, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty awesome. And I'm going to dress pretty awesome because that's how God made me. So, yeah. And I love that you made that distinction for both modesty and purity, that it really comes from the heart. Cause I think so many questions can be, you know, like you said, like, oh, well, where's the line? Or like, how far is too far? Or like, what is too short? Or all of yeah. these questions um, that some of those questions like have very valid, like the very valid questions and answers. Um, but so much of those questions, I think can be answered when you have the right heart in place. Um, and you get that checked first. So I love that you said that. Um, and what you know, as we kind of talk about this, and I think, you know, people can go on social media and see certain things about modesty or, or purity and, and all kinds of other things that really come from this feminist movement. And um, what are some ways that you see the feminist movement actively harming women? I have three, like a three point answer to this question. And I'll just kind of say the three points and then go back and dive into them. But um, I would say I see it actively harming people are harming women because um, it's turning them really, really selfish. And it's convincing them that life is all about them. Um, the second thing is it's it's kind of in a way turning them into men, which is the opposite of femininity, which is opposite of what the word um, should stand for. Um, and the third thing is this this I kind I find really funny in the feminist movement. They either claim that being a wife and a mother is either too lame or they claim it's too hard. Mm. And I'm like, you can't have both mm. at the same time. Um, so those are my three. Um, that's like my three point answer. And I'll dive into it now. Um, going to that first point of like it's making them really selfish or it's convincing women to be really selfish and convinced that life's all about them. And, and it's really just not um, if you think about how we're made. How, how were we made? We were made in the image of God. Um, another term for it that is pretty common in the church is the Imago Dei. Um, and so what does it mean to be made in the image of God? It means to be made in the image of love. Um, and what is love? Love is outside of itself. Um, it is sacrifice. It is a giving away of oneself. Um, we know from scripture that the greatest act of love is actually to die for the beloved. Um, and we're not just talking about physically dying. Um, but I think that's just a huge lie um, from the feminist movement is that it convinces women that like, oh, it's all about you. It's all about how far you can go. You know, if someone's on your side, great. They're a great asset to you. They're a great connection for you to have, for you to use later on down the road. Um, and if they're not for you, well, then just forget them. Like, uh, we're very quick to throw around the word like toxic. And it's like, some people are toxic. I do understand that. And I, I've seen that in my own life. But sometimes we'll call someone toxic simply because they question what we're doing. And and that's something that's just pins people against each other. That doesn't actually build up society. It doesn't build up women. Um, it definitely doesn't bring up unity. It really turns people against each other when everyone been con everyone has been convinced that their life is only about them. They should only take care of, of only take care of themselves. Um, and not, you know mimic Christ in laying down our lives, actually, like we're, we're called to die and to deny ourselves um, daily. And so that's a huge lie. It totally warps what a woman should be. A, a woman should be giving, a woman should be sacrificial. She should be mimicking Christ in that way. And the feminist movement just turn, completely turns that around. Um, on the second point, in a way, the feminist movement turns women into men, which is really ironic. Um, 
but if you think about this, kind of picture this in all of like the, um, girl power, quote unquote, girl power, um, movies these days, how are the women dressed? They're dressed in suits. They're dressed like men. They're not dressed like women. Um, they're also not acting like women. They're acting aggressive and they're acting angry. Um, and they're acting like men. It, it's not at all feminine at all. Um, and that's a huge picture that the feminist movement has is kind of this girl boss. And yes, you can be a woman and be involved in business and politics. I mean, we're sitting in the middle of DC right now. Um, and so, um, yeah, you can be completely involved. A Proverbs 31 woman is involved in every asset of the world around her. She's involved in politics. Her husband is known at the gate, which means AKA she has high standards. Keep that in mind. Um, but she's still a woman and the feminist movement just really doesn't have a definition for woman anymore. And we've seen that crumble over the past few years, especially. Um, so that's just another lie. And, and on that lie, I did want to make a note. The feminist movement is so adamant in like, in like turning women into men. They're so adamant about detaching pregnancy from being a woman. Um, and we're seeing this, you know, you can see this in different medications and you can see this in, in how pregnancy is depicted in the media today. It's it's really looked at like a disease and it's like, no, this this is a beautiful thing. And without this, mankind literally wouldn't exist. Um, and they're really, really trying to detach, you know, how the woman is made from being a woman. They, they, they view like pregnancy as like a disease to a woman's body. And I think that's something, you know, I won't dive totally into it now, um, but that's something to think about of like, oh, wait, why are they trying to do that? Um, there's so many avenues that you can go to with that. But that was something that I really thought of, of like, they're so adamant on detaching a woman from what, from like the greatest thing a woman can do. It's like, you're literally the door in which an immortal soul enters the world. And you get to genetically be like part of that. Like that is just absolutely amazing. Like don't degrade that. Um, and with that saying that, that bleeds into my third point. Um, they either claim like being a wife and a mother is too lame or it's too hard. And I just find that hilarious because both can't be true at the same time. Anything hard is worthwhile and therefore not lame at all. Um, or they view it as lame, but that's just so not true. Cause like I said, you're, you're making immortal souls. Like, and, and marriage is this beautiful picture of Christ in his church. There's nothing lame about it. It's probably the greatest thing on earth. Um, you know, in, in marriage and in family, we get this picture of God. That's just irreplaceable. And he, and he put that in place, like right at creation, he made marriage and he made, um, you know, from marriage, you get children right at the beginning, probably because it's the most important thing to human beings. Um, and so it's not lame at all. And there's no way you can prove that it is. Um, the only way, you know, that I see feminists attacking the family is they really just have they just try to degrade it, but they don't have any solid evidence as to why you shouldn't care. Um, and oftentimes someone tries to degrade something when they actually see it as a threat, you know, um, and, and marriage is powerful. Having children, having a family is powerful. And, um, you know, when women have children, they're not just having babies. They just gave birth to a person and you don't know what the Lord's going to do through them for the next 70 years on earth and what's going to come from that. So it's not lame at all. Um, and it, I will say it is hard. Um, but anything worthwhile is hard. Um, and so these, that, that's just a truth that we need to hold on to. And I feel like the feminist movement kind of spazzes out on itself in that it, it doesn't really have an answer for what it is to be a wife and a mother. Um, so they either say, oh, it's too lame. You know, you're really missing out on life if you're home alone or with the kids or, you know, just, you know, creating life because that's so lame. Um, 
Or they say, well, it's way too hard. Well, that's also insulting because women can do hard things. So don't tell me it's too hard because it is, but I'm capable. Um, so yeah, that's my answer. I kind of went on a rant, but um, yeah, no, that's my answer. That was so good. And I think you just beautifully um, really explained, you know, what where CWA's legacy came from of starting in the 70s and 80s in response mm-hmm. to the radical feminist movement. And then um, two of CWA's core issues, which YWA um, cares so much about as well, is the sanctity of life and then really defending, um, you know, girls sports. But really what that represents is just the dignity of women in general. And so I think you um, did such a good job of explaining both of those things and why we care so much about them. Um, and kind of you had, you had mentioned families and really um, marriage and um to get there, we have to go through relationships and dating. And so, um, you know, as um, people might be listening, um, young women who are dating in this secular society, um, what are standards that they should be looking for? And do you have any encouragement for them in regards to dating? Yeah, this is this is a really good question. And I think um, standards have definitely been like lowered in these this day and age. Um, uh, but women really shouldn't lower their standards. Um, so kind of like, laying the groundwork of like, what, what's my personal standard? What do I think girls should hold as a standard? And, and that is a man who is Christ-like, um, someone that you can look up to and say, you know, I want to look like him, like, not like, you know, physically, but like, I want my soul almost to like, look like him. Like he's mimicking Christ so much. And I want to mimic Christ so much. Um, when I look, um, like throughout my life, guys that I've been interested in or, or have had, um, been like, oh, wow, like I really admire him. I really like him. Um, it's been because he has like really, really good character. It's been because he identifies with the Lord and he is living out Christ-like um, and he's living out Christ-like in how he views himself, how he views others, how he views the world, um, how he serves others. And and I look at that and I'm like, wow, I want to be like that. So so in terms of standards, it's it's someone I can look up to and someone I can trust would, would lead me. Um, respect is really, really lost in this culture, but I really want a man that I can respect. Um, and so, so that's like a, 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 like a, a foundation of like what standards should be. Um, and then also something is, as a man really should pursue. Um, and we talk about that a lot, um, in biblical femininity, but I think it really says something about a guy if he is willing to, um, get out of his comfort zone, pursue you, show you you're worth it. Um, you know, that's also putting on Christ and being Christ-like because that's what Christ does with us. He, he, um, he doesn't say, well, you need to earn my affection. You, you need to earn my love. He's like, no, here it is. You know, I, I beg you to take it. Um, and I think that is something really admirable in a guy. Um, I also think it's ironic because Proverbs 31 is always associated with women and it is about a woman, but there's actually like a lot of standards for a guy listed in Proverbs 31. Like the first 10 verses are the mother is the mother who, who um, the advice comes from speaking to the son who eventually writes Proverbs 31. And she's saying like, this is who you need to be. And then I'm going to describe to you a woman that would pair well with everything that you should become. Um, and we also see that in verse um, 23, like this husband of this Proverbs 31 woman is like well-known and involved in community. Why? Because he's trustworthy and he has a good character. Um, and so there's actually standards for men in Proverbs 31, which I've actually never heard anyone say that, but when you read it, you see it there. Um, so yeah, those are just some like baseline standards. I'm um, like Christ-like servant-hearted um, has a gospel view of the world of like, we are all fallen and it is only by God's grace that we are saved. Um, and that's how he approaches his life. Um, 
So, yeah. And I, I will, I do want to point on this, like, especially with how men have been really just degraded and run into the ground. Um, I see this a lot with our generation and it's like dating is so hard because there are just no strong men around. Um, and it can be discouraging, but I would say like, take courage in the power of prayer. Like I would say, pray for the men of our generation. Cause they're really being sold a lie, um, to be weak and, and that women want them to be weak, but we don't like, we don't at all. Um, and so like, I would say, keep praying for that reversal of the lie and encourage the men in your life, whether that's, you know, brothers, daughters can encourage their fathers too. Um, that's not off limits either. I think actually daughters should, should push their, their fathers to be, Hey, you know, I'm not really feeling protected by you. I think you need to step up or I'm not really feeling provided by you, or I'm not being provided for by you. Like you need to step up. I think daughters can push their fathers to become more manly. Um, um, so yeah, pushing the men in your life or encouraging, I should say, I want to say that word, encouraging the men in your life. Um, to really step into biblical manhood um, and pray for, you know, the reversal of these lies, because I think that is just, um, you know, as ferocious as um, feminism is in our world, a, like a side effect, a ripple effect of feminism is that it really discourages men and it tells them back down. We want you weak. We want you on the ground. Um, a friend of mine actually often will say women killed chivalry. And I think that's a really interesting point um, because it's like, yeah, women said, I don't want it anymore. And and therefore men stopped. And and now, you know, years down the line, we're looking around and it's like, oh my gosh, no men are chivalrous. And when they are, you're like, oh my gosh, they're Prince Charming. It's like, well, you know, 50 years ago, that was just like baseline. And yeah. now it's like, oh my gosh, you're they open the door. Me. Oh my goodness. Yeah, you're like, where's the ring? They just <laughs> opened the door. They just, um, you know, opened the car door or whatever, handed me something. And you're like, oh my gosh, he's the greatest. And it's like, oh, that is so sad. Cause that is base level what a man should be and how a man should be treating a woman. So, um, yeah. I guess yeah. that's my answer. Well, two of the things you said made me think of a book that I was recently reading um, about dating. And um, one of the parts was, again, that distinction of how um, to the core, like men want and need respect and then women want mm -hmm. and need love. Um, and not that vice versa don't want or need love and respect. We both do, but that is like at the core. And so um, when looking for someone to date, like it truly is like, who can you respect? And mm -hmm. if you are dating someone like, do you respect them? Does it come easily? Or are you trying to convince yourself to respect them or that um, you should, but truly like, do you enjoy respecting them? And does that come naturally and easily? Um, and then the other point in the book that I think you touched on kind of when you brought up Proverbs 31 and the parts for the man as well, is that we don't get to just sit around and hope that we find this dream guy who's been working on himself, mm. but we truly also need to be becoming the type of woman that the type of man we want to yeah. date would want mm -hmm. to be with. Um, because I mean, he's looking for someone too. So that's only fair that um, we're both on this path with the Lord, you know, trying yeah. to better ourselves and be prepared. So um, kind of as we wrap up to counter the culture that we're in, just what last advice you have um, to best embrace our God-given femininity and what that looks like? I would say my best advice is to give up your your life to the Lord. Um, and I know that's kind of like cheesy and and whatever, but but really like that's the answer. Like when I look at Genesis and, and how woman was made and what she was made for, she was made to worship God. She was made to serve God. Um there's a Latin word fiat and it means let it be done as God sees fit. Um, and I think that's the best way to live your life 
as a woman and also as a man is, is giving your will up to God for him to shape you, him to, to show you what's really important um, and for him to guide you and and how you should be serving. Okay, Lord, here's my, here are my skills. Here's my time. Use me for however you, you see fit. Um, so giving up your will to the Lord. And, and that means acknowledging that the design that God has for women, um, you can, you can, choose not to live it out, but that doesn't negate that it exists. God really did design women in a specific way and it's a beautiful way and it's not degrading. It's not oppressive at all. Um, it's glorifying and it's absolutely beautiful. And so I would say, you know, giving your will up to him, um, in everything, including, you know, saying, yeah, there is a role for women. And I think once you live in that, you realize it's really, really freeing and it's really, really powerful. And it's really, um, it gives you a grounding of identity and who you are and what you're here on earth to do. So yeah, that's my answer. Well, thank you so much, Julia. It was so good. And I know that um, our young women listening, but hopefully everyone was encouraged um, and they'll just be inspired to truly live out um, the roles and the call that the Lord has on them. So thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Women for America. To keep up with the work that we're doing, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and head to our website, concernedwomen.org.